Yeah. It's December, ladies and gentlemen, but we're not going to do a Christmas story today. We're going to do uh, a mob story. My name is Nate Chacon Third. This is Short Story Bingo, episode uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 17. Yeah, I got it. Um, anyway, if this is your first time, welcome. If this is your second time, the retention program is working. What we do on this podcast is I read a short story, either by myself or with a friend, and we comment on it as we're going through it. This Today, we're going to read about Scarface Al. Yes, Al Capone um, out of the Mafia Dictionary that I got when I was like, I was like 13 years old when I got this thing, and when I got it, like I made an intention to like write a book. So like I made so many notes about it, so on and so forth, but I'll post links, um, that you can, uh, attain the same thing. I looked up at Barnes and Noble and they already have it. Also check this out. I'm going to be getting the, some short stories from H uh, from Orson Welles. Um, can't wait to read, uh, out of that because of his mastery and pretty much one of the uh, you know, first voices when it comes to sci-fi uh, literature, being that like so much so that he wrote War of the Worlds in 1898, um, and if you know you and I, um, you know, both have uh, known uh, back in the 30s. I think it was 1930. CBS put out a broadcast, a radio broadcast. Um, it was. Uh, very big deal because folks believed it. Uh, it was it was obviously theatrical how they put it on. Um, but anyway, I'm just uh, letting you guys dive into that. But today, random Twitter follower shout out goes to drum up, please. Me, motherfucker. Just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> at Gabino Grimes. Um, at G-A-B-I-N-O G-R-H-Y-M-E-S uh, Follow me on Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a good follow, I think. Uh, but yeah, so that's the round of Twitter follower shout out of the week. Big ups to the UK who's still holding it down. We're averaging about 191 hits uh, right now. Um, for the podcast. So thank you to you uh, for keeping you know yourself interested. I I heard um, also that to maybe not go so themey, but and I'm totally on board with that. I think though because I'll go sometimes themey, but I would like to keep it random just because I've done it the that way the whole time. So uh, I appreciate the feedback for sure. Um, but with that being said, uh, yeah, we're just going to do this one by myself today. Uh, so it's just you and I in the booth. We're just chilling. Uh, me and a little bit of a smearing off a spike screwdriver. And, um, you know, just a story about Al Capone. I am a big mafia fan. I don't know if you guys are as well, but I'm a huge mafia fan. So this is going to be like, again, it's coming from the the mafia dictionary that I have. So it's not going to be so much short story-esque as much as it's going to be um, a little more educational. So thank you all for being on the ride that we are on. Um, who else do I got to shout out? I know I got to shout someone else. Oh, yeah, the email. If you have any stories that you want me to read, um, I was going through some stories on the email last week. 
short story bingo at yahoo.com. Thank you so much for uh, submitting what you would like for me to uh, read to y'all and uh, just keep them coming in because we're going to, we're going to start doing like a a fan series or what have you. And also I'm going to be building this uh, Facebook page, but I need to get uh, a little bit more um, detail on how I'm going to, you know, execute that. But with that all being said, short story bingo episode one two seventeen just kidding i knew what it was if you're ready then i'm ready let's go into the intro music short story bingo short story bingo short story bingo short story bingo sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're sad most of the time they're funny because I hate to be sad short story bingo short story bingo short story bingo short story bingo but don't take my word for it spare fingers yes his name, Alphonse Capon. It's synonymous worldwide with Chicago gangster. There were men who did far more than Al Capone to foster organized crime in America, but his remains public enemy number one. Yeah. To become that, Capone had to achieve a certain metamorphosis of character and personality. Really quick, though. Uh, to my Ogden homies, which is in Utah, it's in northern Utah. Uh, Al Capone w- made um, you know a home out there. He would regularly go out there via the uh, train and um, supply like the brothels and the bar scene out there, even during Prohibition stuff like that. So Al Capone has a history. I don't know if this is gonna reference anything in Ogden, Utah, but um, Utah definitely has roots uh, amidst uh, Al Capone's history. So. To become that, Capone had to achieve a certain metamorphosis of character and personality. It goes with the territory and big-time crime. Unless a gangster can make this transition, he almost certainly is doomed to fall. More often than not to the underworld itself, since the mob always demands a higher standard of its leaders than it does of itself. Naturally, because if you're in a fucking gang, then uh, you definitely have to like fit the mold like for sure got to be like hard ass and um i mean think about like how people get well not people but like why you get into stuff like that is because um you know you have some sort of uh disconnect with uh the you know maybe your family or something like that or whatever or maybe it's just easy money and you're just hustling which is uh you know fucking damn near the american dream some people do that the legal way (laughs) so that doesn't that you know doesn't surprise me that uh that sentence demands a higher standard of its leaders than it does of itself by instinct capone was a heartless mindless murderer the gun young capone believed solved all yet by the well, well does it solve the puzzle like, would Pat Sajak be like, go ahead and solve the puzzle, Al? Uh, I got my gun here. You win, Vanna. Just go ahead and flip over the fucking letters because we're all fucking super scared and we don't want to get shot up. By instinct, Capone was a heartless, mindless murderer. The gun, young Capone believed, solved all. 
Yet by the time he was 26, Capone was transformed from a mindless killer into a shrewd criminal executive, bossing an enormous payroll and charged with keeping criminal record, or excuse me, rewards flowing. At that tender age, which 26 is for sure like a tender age, like I remember when I was 26, like remember when you were 26, like and you're just being asked to handle all sorts of money or I mean killing people. But also, it's like a business. So, I mean, Al Capone started just like a lot of mobsters, uh, you know, like parking cars. Like, Goodfellas is not fucking like weird in that. Like, it's fucking a thing. At that tender age, he'd become the most powerful crime boss of the time. And he could, and did, boast he owned Chicago. At the zenith of, uh, excuse me, at the zenith of its power... The Capone organization numbered upward of a thousand members. What the fuck? That's so many. Most of them experienced gunmen. Yet this represented only a portion of Capone's strength. Quote, I own the police, Capone announced, and that was gospel. Only a naive observer of the Chicago scene would have concluded that anywhere less than half of the city's police was on the, uh, was on the Capone payroll. The payoff proportion for politicians was undoubtedly higher since their value to the mob was greater. Of course, man. Have you fucking watched Goodfellas? Like, just keep, like, lawyers in your pocket. And people just do that today. I just recently watched The Jinx. And what the fuck? This guy had, Robert Durst had so much money that he, like, literally just kept getting off. Because he said in, like, one uh, phone conversation with his uh, second wife that he's, like, I put $1.75 million to this lawyer. And I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that it's going to get me off. <laughs> Capone had, quote, in his pocket, aldermen, states' attorneys, mayors, legislators, governors, and even congressmen. The Capone organization's domination of Chicago approached the absolute. In such suburban areas as Cicero, Illinois, it was total. When Capone wanted a big vote, he got the vote. When he wanted to control the election returns, he unleashed his gangster animals to intimidate and terrorize voters by the thousand. Yo, see, I don't like that shit. That's fucking some, that's like some, uh, uh, like Noriega shit. That's some, uh, that's just t- like, that's some, uh, third world country shit where you just want to make sure that your vote matters. So, like, when people are coming up to the booth, if you have an open election like that, then fucking, like, oh, you're going to vote for, you know, candidate fucking red, right? Uh, now I am, man, because first off, I was going to definitely vote for Candidate Green because they're pro-marijuana, but Candidate Red isn't because they've been selling the marijuana, so now I guess i got to fucking vote for them. Politicians, politicians Capone put in power were expected to deliver upon demand. Once the mayor of Cicero, in an explicable exercise of independence, actually took an action without first clearing it with Scarface. Capone seized his honor on the on the steps of City Hall and proceeded to kick and punch him to a pulp. All the while, a very embarrassed police officer worked very hard at averting his gaze, just like looking away, like this politic, like this guy that's like definitely trying to, you know, maybe do something different. And like is like I, I know fucking how powerful Al Capone is, but like, come on, guys, like really, like no man. Uh, fucking do what Al Capone says and you'll be fine. 
And as he's getting beat up, the police officer's like, Oh, what time is it? Oh, my old fucking clock works still. The fourth of nine children, damn, of immigrant parents from Naples, Al Capone was born in 1899 in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. He attended school through the sixth grade when he proceeded to beat up his teacher. Damn, dog. Sixth grade, I was 12. So you're 12 years old, you're beating up your teacher? When he proceeded to beat up his teacher, was in turn beaten by the principal, and then quit school for good. Fuck this, I lost a fight. I'm just, I'm over it. It's like Conor McGregor getting to a... Well, no, it's not. Never mind. That's a bad analogy. After that, he learned street smarts. Especially through a tough outfit of teenagers called the James Street Gang, which is also a fucking band that's going to be pay- playing uh, next weekend at Kingsbury Hall. The James Street Gang. Jesus. Look at... Um, they were called the Mike Street Quartet. They were called the fucking Fernando fucking uh, alleyway fucking alley fucking beast joint. Fuck. (laughs) The James Street Gang. Good for you guys. Proud of you. Run by an older criminal, Johnny Torrio, James Street was a youthful subsidiary of the notorious Five Points Gang to which Capone later graduated. Okay, but real talk, like the Five Points Gang, like this is, uh, um, Google them, uh, if you're, you know, again, into mob stuff, uh, definitely a very prominent, uh, gang at that time, um, and still continued for quite some time after that, so I know that I'm making jokes, what Al Capone, Scarface Al, went as far as uh, went through like as far as a school of hard knocks as it were it was definitely um, you know a, a board of education uh, within street crime that is only completed by a few among his closest friends in school and in the gang was a kid who was to become a major crime figure lucky luciano and the two would remain dear friends the rest of their lives Fucking terrorizing so many people along the way, dog. Like, but also, it's so fucked up because I love the movie Goodfellas. So, like, I love this these stories. I don't know if I love them as much as I am so um, captured by how what by the chutzpah that they had in order to make you know. Um, you know, just to make it happen, you know, just like to be out there and make money and like even just take money, just like take money and fucking be like the biggest gang or whatever of like all of Chicago, even though it was only within city limits of like actual Chicago. Um, I mean, excuse me, uh, I was talk- I'm talking about Illinois. I'm sorry. Anyway, it's very impressive. It's 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 incredibly creepy, just how scary it is. But it's impressive. In his late teens, Capone was hired by Torrio and his partner Frankie Yale. These are just classic ass names. As a bouncer in a saloon brothel they ran in Brooklyn. It was here that Capone picked up his moniker of Scarface Al. After his left cheek was slashed in an altercation over a girl with a hoodlum named Frank Galluccio. Wait a second. 
Frank Galuccio is not the girl, right? It was here that Capone picked up his moniker of Scarface Al after his left cheek was slashed in an altercation over a girl with a hoodlum named Frank Galuccio. I don't know how I misread that in my head. Later, Capone would tell acquaintances and reporters that he got the wound serving in the Lost Battalion in France in the Great War, but he was never even in the service. Yo, man, fake it till you make it. In 1919, Capone was in trouble over a murder or two the law was trying to pin on him. A murder or two, or three, or four, or a lot. <laughs> what the fuck? He relocated in he relocated in Chicago. Yeah, because you just because you got to dip out. He relocated in Chicago to take on new duties for Torrio, who had been summoned there to help his uncle, Big Jim Colosimo. The city's leading whoremaster run his empire. By the time Capone arrived, Torrio was deeply in dispute with Big Jim. Seeing the huge financial opportunities that came with Prohibition, Torrio wanted Colosimo to shift his organization's main thrust to bootlegging. Not a bad idea. Big Jim was not interested. He had become rich and fat in the whoring trade and saw no need to expand. He forbade Torrio to get into the new racket. Torrio now realized that Colosimo had to be eradicated so that he could use Big Jim's organization for his criminal plans. Classic, just get rid of this dude that's not trying to evolve. He has already established himself as being a fucking super pimp, but we're trying to make more money with Prohibition being in place to start bootlegging this booze out. So we got to whack this fool. Together, he and Capone planned Colosimo's murder and sent to New York for the talent to carry out the job. Capone and Torrio, meantime, would act out airtight alibis. The Torrio-Capone duo soon was on the move, taking over mobs that bowed to their uh, entreaties or threats and going to war with those that wouldn't cooperate. Their most impressive coup was arranging the killing in 1924 of Dion O'Banion, the head of the largely Irish Northside Gang. Utilizing the murderous abilities of Frankie Yale of Brooklyn, Frankie Yale! Hey, yo, Frankie! How the fuck those Colossal Sashes doing it, Frankie? Hey, the good boy, the good, go ahead out, go ahead out, there's so much spice in there. Utilizing the murderous abilities of Frankie Yale of Brooklyn, the same man who carried out the Colosimo assassination, O'Banion's death ultimately failed to rout the Northsiders, who instead waged war off and on for several years. Torrio himself was badly shot in an ambush, but after lingering on the edge of death for days, recovered. Which is saying a lot for that time, because... What, 1925, 1924, to recover after just, like, gunshot wounds? Because they weren't going to the hospital. Or maybe they did. I don't know. But it doesn't seem like you would. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> this is the literally the next sentence. After lingering on the edge of death for days, recovered. When he got out of the hospital in February 1925. <laughs> Torrio told Capone, after considerable soul-searching, found Jesus, Al, it's all yours. Torrio took the $30 million he had squirreled away and retired back to Brooklyn. 
Swarm Ad, thereafter to function as a sort of a elder statesman and advisor to the le leaders of organized crime and the National Crime Syndicate that would emerge in the 1930s. Not so smart. I mean, in a sense, it was a dirty trick to play on the 26-year-old Capone, who cold turkey found himself in a position calling for pr for a premium on brains rather than his rather than on his strong suit muscle. He suddenly had to become a major business executive, heading up a workforce of over a thousand persons and with a payroll running over three hundred thousand dollars a week. And he had to demonstrate that he could work with other ethnics, including Jews. Not sure why they're the first people I can mention. Irish, Pole, Irish. Poles and blacks. Here, Capone excelled, appreciating any man, provided he was a hustler, crook, or crook, killer. And there was never an int uh, intimation that he discriminated against any of them because of their religion, race, or national origin. Oh, God. He is just following the Constitution as such. He is walking in this. He is pre Martin Luther King before Martin Luther King. Do not judge me by the color of my skin, but the content of my character. Wow, Al. You are impressive, sir. Just kidding. He was a fucking hustler who knew just how to fucking take care or, um, you know, hustle people. He didn't... Which is, honestly, I mean, not the... I mean, it's just definitely not the worst idea. Capone was perhaps the underworld's first equal opportunity employer. <laughs> Going into his office, like, there's that that workforce uh, poster that you have to have like at your job that's like the details like the rights that you have at a job he's like yeah go come away come away go, go check out take a look at this I know you're Paul I know you're Paul go take a look at this I, I give equal opportunity to everybody as long as you're a hustler crook or killer oh really well thank you Al thank you yes thank you Capone was perhaps the underworld's first equal opportunity employer. Of course, he killed a number of ethnics. Jesus. If they did not bend to his will. But he did the same to many of Chicago's mafiosi, including the um, Janine, uh, the Jennas and the Aiellos. The Aiellos, excuse me. For the same reason. Capone did a thorough job of purging his city of mafia mustache peats long before Luciano succeeded in doing so in New York. Although he was a murderer and continued to order wholesale butchery as head of the outfit, Capone nevertheless changed in public image, mixing well with political, business, and even social figures. He took on the character of a public utility by limiting his mobs by limiting his mob's activities, mainly to rackets that enjoyed strong public support, such as booze, gambling, and prostitution. If you give people what they want, inevitably you gain a certain respectability and popularity. Totally true. Thus, Al Capone was cheered when he went to the ballpark. After 1929, Herbert Hoover was not. Thus, Al Capone was cheered when he went to the ballpark. That's like when you see, like... Ladies and gentlemen, and in the front row, we have Bruno Mars. And everybody's like, ah, Bruno Mars, 24 Kevin Magic in there. In the first row at the Cubs-Dodgers game, we have Scarface Al. And you just see Scarface Al just like his hands up. Like, yeah, yeah, hello. Hey, everybody fucking. Yeah, I got a fucking brat in my left hand. My, 
my my chick on my right, my other chick on her right hand, and, and and her chick on the right hand, and and they all got bras too, and and not to mention we all got boobs. But hey, 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 everybody is scarface all over here. But that's the way that it was back then, man. Like the mob in the early twenties and up to what, like this, like sixties, seventies. Like it was a, it was definitely. Um, Reported in the news a lot more to like glorify. No, I don't even know to glorify, but it was they definitely were in the news a lot more, and uh, all the mobsters knew to like smile when they were going to be take have a picture taken of them. So it wasn't that doesn't surprise me at all. Hubert Hoover not being super happy about it fucking absolutely does not surprise me at all either. As we all know, Hubert Hoover started the FBI. Capone surrounded himself with gangsters he could trust. Which is not. That just sounds like a fucking oxymoron. And this trust was, in turn, returned to him by his men. As long as the gangster didn't try to double deal him, Capone backed him to the limit. Capone was shrewd enough to hire Galuccio, the hood who had scarred him, as a bodyguard, an act that demonstrated to his men his capacity for magnanimity. It also caused some rival gangs to hook up with Capone, now believing his promises that they would prosper under his wing. He thus gained the royalty of the Valley Gang under Frankie Lake, just fucking beautiful names, and, ter- and Terry Druggan, and the machine gun happy Saltis McGurlane mob. Saltis is spelled S-A-L-T-I-S. Saltis, maybe. Saltine. Ah, fuck it. Not that Capone could ever relax his guard, as he was constantly under threat of assassination. Oh, you think? He was shot at numerous times and was almost and almost had his suit poisoned. Fucking once? In 1926, the O'Banion sent an entire machine gun motorcade past the Hawthorne Inn, Capone's Cicero headquarters, and poured in a thousand rounds. But Capone escaped injury when his bodyguard shoved him to the dining room floor and fell on top of him. I just want to know how big that dude was, because that could not have been fucking comfortable. Get the fuck off me, dude. Well, who fuck is on me, yo? One by one, Capone did eliminate his enemies, especially the Northsiders. His most famous personal killings involved treachery within his own mob. Hot Toad, Giunta, and two of Capone's most lethal gunners, John Scalisi and Albert Anselmi, were not only showing signs of going independent, but were cooperating with other Capone enemies to, to kill him. So just like classic Caesar moment, like where people are maybe like turning on you. Capone invited them to a banquet in their honor. And at the climax of the evening, produced a gift wrap Indian club with which he bashed their brains out. What? Fucking invited them to their own death? Yeah, hey, we're gonna fucking, hey, no, Johnny, hey, yo, Albert, yo, no, dinner's on me, we're gonna fucking, hey, we got a whole party, we got a whole party, hey, bring over the, no, 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 hey, that's fine, go ahead, sit down, no, I sit, seriously, sit the fuck down, hey, bring over the, bring over the, the presents, the presents, 
Uh, that pre- yo, I'm not gonna lie to you, man. That looks like a fucking bat. Like that present looks like a fucking bat. It's not a bat. Cool out, Albert. Come on, cool out. Just stop it. Come on, bring it over. Bring it over. Yeah, Frankie, bring it over. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna open up your presents. We're gonna open your presents. We we're so excited that you're fucking. And then pulls out a bat and just like, boom. <laughs> what the fuck? This occurred in 1929, a fatal year for Capone. Although it hardly seems so, just shortly before the Indian Club caper, he committed a monumental blunder in ordering the St. Valentine's Day Massacre in an effort to kill Bugs Moran, the last major leader of the Old O'Banion Gang. We'll read about them later. Seven men were lined up against the garage wall and machine gunned to death by Capone hitmen dressed as police officers. The victims thought they were being subjected to a routine bus and had offered no resistance. Unfortunately, Moran was not present at the time. Even worse, the public attitude started to change about the savage bootleg wars. Washington began applying heat. While Capone could not be convicted of murder, he was eventually nailed for income tax evasion and sentenced to 11 years at the federal prison in Atlanta. In 1934, he was transferred to Alcatraz. And within a few years, his health started to deteriorate. Released in 1939, he was a helpless paretic. A condition brought on by the ravages of untreated syphilis, contracted in his early whorehouse days. In Alcatraz, Capone also exhibited signs of going stir-crazy, not uncommon with prisoners on the rock. Capone's family took him to his mansion in Florida, where he was to live out the next eight years. Alternating between periods of lucidity and mental inertia, his boys from Chicago visited him from time to time, but there was no way he could be involved in mob activities. He died on January 25th, 1947. Story about Capone. Scarface Owls, they put it, huh? Short story, Bingo, episode 17 is in the books. I find it really interesting uh, upon reading that and what I already knew about how much power he exerted and trust that he put into his people. That's probably the biggest part of the story where you might have heard me take a a different stance as soon as I read it because how like I mean within the mob like I I don't know if you like if you check out like on a Netflix there's a special like the mob in America and it trips me out you know Um, how people how quick people will turn in the mob let it go again let alone in like you know a financial institution I mean um it just, you know, I don't know if Al Capone had the right people around him. Maybe he did. I don't know. I mean, he definitely uh, brought a lot of lives to end, and so that's f- super sad. But also, again, uh, there's a lot of people that saw him in a different light, just uh, like Allah, like Pancho Villa, like, um, you know, he was a kind of crazy fucking dude. I'll, I'll, I'll read a story about him. I, I know I will. Um I don't know. It's kind of weird, you know? It's just kind of weird. Al Capone, though, the Mafia Encyclopedia, the second edition, 
Again, I'll post the link inside the, uh, you know, the description box here. Thank you again for riding with me. My name is Nate Chacon. This is Short Story Bingo, episode 17. Please send in any stories that you might have or comments to shortstorybingo at yahoo.com. Again, shortstorybingo at yahoo.com. I appreciate every, each and every one of you. And this is how we're going to end fucking Episode 17. Dun, dun, dun. Spare fingers. Yes.